Welcome to the first episode of Dialica, where we, armed with the flimsy but earnest logic of 20-something millennials, talk about the latest in politics, society, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. This week, we are taking a look on the LGBT issue currently occupying our political and social mind space. I'm Stephanie. I'm Sweden. So first, we're going to have a brief rundown of what happened that sparked all of this issue mm-hmm. and the quick timeline of all of the important things that have been said. As well as the responses from the ministers, from social media, and breaking down what those kind of responses mean in the general um, conversations about LGBT in this country. And we also have a quick 101 on the difference between sex, gender, and sexual orientation and the Kinsey scale and also um, pulling examples from both human society as well as the natural world. The marine life, the little fishies and little penguins of the world. So just to give a brief rundown of the chronology of what happened, People have pointed to Muhammad Nasir, the Minister of Technology, Research and Higher Education statement as the thing that started the ball rolling. So on January 24th, he said that a support group for um, LGBT in University of Indonesia should be disbanded and that any kind of um, discussion on these kind of groups that is scientific needs to get off campus. Because the campus is a moral safeguard for the nation, and having this kind of support group is inherently immoral. So he received a lot of backlash and um, retracted from that, but it really got the ball rolling, uh, leading to people like ex-minister Tifatul Sambiring to say that people who are homosexuals need to be killed. Even though it was couched in the context of a Friday prayer meditation hashtag, it still it was it's on still, Twitter. It was on Twitter, and he in no way was trying to be apologetic in the sense like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. The conversation devolved in such a way with threats of violence and fear-mongering such that the Minister of Politics and Legal Security, Menko Polkulkam Luhut Panjaitan, came out and said that the LGBT community was first and foremost Indonesian citizens that need to be protected. And has rights. And has rights. So I think overall the conversation has also took on a very surreal edge and led to comments by people like Arif Wisman Shah to say that there may be a link between instant noodles or lack of milk to homosexuality. These claims that are in no way substantiated by any science. And it's the kind of things that I think we need to discuss in this week's episode of Dialogica. And these are things that are, you know, they're echoing what the ministers have said, right? The mm-hmm. official state has said, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and then that's scary because then you realize the conversation of, against LGBT is permeating from the top levels of government to the people who are on Twitter, on Facebook, on social media. On Daglan, which is one of the most popular humor Instagrams, Mm-hmm. Uh, in Indonesia, Indonesia, the hashtag Lagibete stuff has 70,000 likes. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's definitely platforms where we can discuss um, these issues in a productive way, but I feel like those usual channels where netizens have usually been a force to be reckoned with and a voice for positivity and progressiveness has not been there. And that's what's very concerning to me. Yeah, that all of this anti-LGBT sentiment has been flooding the social media space, and I've, I haven't seen any response, except for a few select ones, mm-hmm. 
to oppose the tidal wave of negativity. Yeah. Netizens' responses, right? It's such a positive response in relation to the Jakarta bombings because we've oh, that got... that was hilarious. Right? With like... All, hashtag kami naksir and I know, we have like, a crush, you know. This sort of like national search for this like one hot police uh, that officer. That was brilliant. It particularly showcases how we are not afraid of the terrorist bombing, which really just makes fun of and makes light of the Jakarta bombing attempt, right? Exactly. So it's a really good case and example of punching up, you know? Mm-hmm. And humor, when we're talking about what's funny or what's not funny to me, yeah. um, you know, when it's like about, for example, rape jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, rape jokes are only funny when it's about making fun of the rapist. Exactly. And not making fun of the rape victim, because yeah. it's pretty much showing that and making fun of the person who is trying to oppress somebody else, right? And in this case, in Jakarta bombing, it's very much um, saying, oh, like, whatever you're trying to do, whatever scare tactics you're going to try to put on us, is not working and has not worked. Yeah, you find these sort of like unifying factors in your humor Mm -hmm. when you're punching up. Mm -hmm. Like I'm also thinking with the Jakarta bombings, you've got that picture of the seller, the guy who was selling sate, and it was just like, Wow, everybody can relate to that. Everybody can, everybody can like, oh yeah, we've seen the sate guy all the yeah, time. And he's exactly. still there, even after the bombings. And it's like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and I think the whole, um, in the photo of the police wearing a Gucci bag I and know. Gucci <laughs> uh, clothing, and then it was um, get this look kind of yeah, photos. Yeah. That was so funny, just because it also points to... Um, you know, the difference in social income, exactly. but also at the same time, how nonchalant and how silly the whole thing is. This yeah. kind of really, for me, drives the point home that we are not afraid, you know, mm-hmm. a message of both unity and solidarity. solidarity with the victims. And I think while some people criticize it in the sense of, you know, our inability to empathize with the terrorist, yeah. I think that is a criticism that is not exactly valid in this case. Just because I think it's a positive thing that people cannot, you know, empathize with um, terrorists and don't really identify very strongly with Islamic terrorism Mm -hmm. and all of these extremist views, right? So it's actually a good thing that what people chose to focus on was the fact that that the other things unifying us, you know, especially hashtag Ami Naksia, right? Like, we have a crush. So it's like, I think one of the most opposite things you can have in a face of terror is, you know, a crush, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like a love and unity and it's very, I think it's just brilliant. So people are familiar with this, we're going to have a quick rundown, which is mm, okay, let's start with biological sex. Mm-hmm. So biological sex is the physical biological parts that you are born with you know um the reproductive organs the you're reproductive born with organs so males are have their penises and testicles and females have their vaginas and boobs yeah, yeah. um so typically this has been uh, xx chromosome for women and an xy for male but this is also actually an interesting topic in itself because yeah. there's intersex people mm-hmm. people who have both um like an X X Y or X Y Y, like exactly. all of these different things, and people who have both a mismatch. So you can so you can well. have an X Y chromosome, but you know female organs. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's the biological sex element. Exactly. And then there's um, that's the things you're born with. That's the things you're born with. Mm-hmm. And then there's 
gender identity or gender, which is the way you identify with being a man or a woman. Yeah. So Simone de Beauvoir, one of the critical, most important feminist thinkers, has this idea that one is not born a woman, rather one becomes one. Mm -hmm. So when you are born into this world, you start to learn a lot of like social cues into how you're supposed to act, how you're supposed to dress, um, how you're supposed to be. This learning um, is part socially inculcated and calculated, but also other people feel very much strongly that, that they are one gender or another that doesn't necessarily match with their biological sex. So that's where transgenders come in, right? Like, exactly. So they can be born a man, but you know they feel that they are a woman, and they, they identify that as identifies a woman. woman. So that's there's some mismatch there between their biological sex and their gender identity. This is a whole different thing from sexual orientation, which is what kind of sex um, you're attracted, you're attracted to. to. They identify as a male, but they like other males. Mm -hmm. um, so you can also, in this sense, have um, you can identify as a transgender individual, so you're a man who identifies as a woman, but you like other women, or you like other men. So there are many multiple layers to the kind of, not only attraction you have for another individual, but also how you self-identify. Yeah. And I think this is the kind of discussion I really wish there was more in the public spectrum. Because it's actually a pretty complicated topic. We can yeah. have a whole episode just talking about this distinction. Exactly. And I feel like for a lot of people, they think sex equals gender equals orientation. Yeah. Which is not at all the case whatsoever. And I think people assume just because you're born a male, you are a man and you will love a woman. Mm -hmm. And vice versa, right? Mm -hmm. And there's just so much more possibilities than just that mm -hmm. and um, if you are born in a certain way and you have only seen one thing you only assume that it's natural to think that way but it's actually very unnatural for some people to think and be that way right and I think that's where the importance of discourse and empathy comes in knowing that just as maybe you feel very strongly about liking the opposite sex maybe for some people they just can't conceive of being with someone who is of the opposite sex as them Exactly. You've, you've been raised and sort of like exposed to only one method of thinking and you're only going to think that's the natural one because that's the only one you've seen. And I'd like to think that to progress as a democratic society and country, we need to be more open-minded and be more inclusionary about different perspectives and different uh, ways of being, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of discourse that a lot of people in the hardline extremist camp, they don't want to have this kind of discourse because they only I believe think, in one view. Yeah, the presumption of naturalness is, I think, one of the biggest stumbling blocks, right? For progress, in my yeah. opinion, yeah. When you're talking about what is natural, you know, they're like, oh yeah, it's, as you can see in nature, animals like the opposite sex and that is not true there are definitely gay penguins and other gay animals but gay penguins in particular are quite a hot topic in the web exactly and they're really cute they're adorable have you heard about the the emperor peng penguins the emperor so i think emperor penguins are really cute as well because it's the male who are nurturing yeah who take care the, of the young and there's like in the zoo there was a couple of gay penguins mm -hmm. who so the original parents of one penguin child like, just decided to discard and throw away the yeah, they penguins, just got then, up and left. Yeah, and then the gay penguins adopted this child and became, like, the best parents. Yeah. Like, the scientists were measuring that, you know, they were the ones taking the best care of the penguins. And there's, like, videos and pictures of them being just, like, a cute little penguin family. And it's adorable. And this is not even a joke. This is nature, right? This is, is what you, you know, what, what a lot of people... What is presumed natural. Yeah, what, what is presumed natural. And these kind of things happen. Yeah, and the so, male seahorse... 
um, is the one that's pregnant, since I'm an avid diver and um, I really like marine biology, <laughs> childhood dreams unrealized. Um, there's still time. There's still time. Um, so you know that actually, like in Finding Nemo, clownfish is a non-monogamous relationship. There's one female clownfish, and yeah. she's the biggest okay. of all of the male clownfish, and she has a harem of male clownfishes, <laughs> and like they're the ones taking care of the children. But so actually, what happens is that when the female clownfish dies, the biggest male changes to become a female clownfish and becomes like the matriarch of the pod. So it's not just non-monogamous, but it's also like non. The idea that shift like biological sex can change yeah. within animals and based on the need, right? Yeah, based on the need. I think it's really important to just not reduce what is co- the conception of natural. Um, and to have such a binary conception that it's like it's all, it's either one or the other. That's not the case in humanity as a species. It's also not the case yeah. in the biology you know, in nature. Yeah, in Buddhist culture, there are five genders. Exactly. You know? Part of the beauty of Indonesia is that the very motto is unity and diversity. Yeah. And we are a country that is so diverse in many more ways than just talking about this particular issue. And we celebrate those ways. So why can't we celebrate? The diversity of the people that live in this great nation. What's scary is that this is not a vague topic. It's something that has a real impact to people we know and exactly. people who we care about. Mm-hmm. And we are, we ourselves are not necessarily in that community. We both are cisgendered people. Straight cisgendered people. Cisgender means that we identify our sex and gender identity in the same way that we are assigned to at birth. So, you know, I'm born a male and I identify as a male. And I'm a woman. I was born a female and identify as a woman. Although I often really don't feel very strongly linked to my gender, you know. Definitely. I definitely don't. And, you know, that's another thing, right? Like when you sort of, when you don't fall into the perfect um, conception of what your gender is supposed to be, you know. Then everybody starts like, oh, wow. Then they're scared of you when in fact you're just like, there's not one way of being a man. I'm the youngest of four, and I have three great, strong, independent sisters. And I've never felt like I needed to, to be the very sort of like macho, um, jock mentality of being a guy. And I've always been interested in the arts and different kinds of theater, theater and things like that. Wearing a skirt. That was for a no pants party, so. <laughs> you made me go with you to shop for different skirts, and you were sending me selfies of you in the skirt. Good times. Good times. Um, Hashtag college. To return to the story, it's like, you know, just because I don't prescribe and I don't follow the usual conceptions of what it means to be a guy, Mm -hmm. a lot of people start to just call me like, oh, you're so gay, or like, you know, why do you act like this? Um, And because you have a lot of female friends who you don't see as sexual objects. Then they even think more like, oh yeah, the only way you can be friends with women is because you are not interested in sleeping with them and you are gay. Gosh. And I was like, wow, that is a very regressive and sad view on life, but, you know. You know, women are primarily human beings. <laughs> I know, right? I'd like to think that. You hear these kind of statements like, you know, oh, that's so gay, you're so gay, and you... I've never felt particularly insulted by it yeah. um, growing up, but as I um, went yeah, to college... I have to apologize. I have made some of these jokes to you. 
But I've always also kind of like said, okay, let's not put your our heteronormative norms on you when I'm like when I became more woke. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for that late apology, Stephanie. It's the first time I've apologized. Well, True high, story. high school is also like, oh man. Oh gosh. Yeah, I was also actually called a lesbian. Just um, because she was a strong, independent woman. Don't need no man. Exactly. Um, except I do like men. Yes, you do. Um, but yeah, it's like when I went to college, I think when both of us went to college and we were exposed to people who identify as LGBT, yeah. then you realize like these the kind of insults that's been thrown at yeah. you is actually really demeaning and really bad for people who identify because then you become a punchline. There's also this uh, thing that's been around since the, I think, the 1940s, the 1940s, 1950s, called the Kinsey Scale, created by Alfred Kinsey. And it talks about how your sexual orientation uh, lives in a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And with this particular one, um, he created the Kinsey Scale, which is from zero to six, and with six being um, homosexual mm -hmm. and zero being um, heterosexual. And heterosexual in this case means that you're born with your biological sex mm -hmm. and you are attracted to the opposite sex. Well, homosexual in this case means you're born with your biological sex and you're attracted to the same sex, um, mm -hmm. the same biological sex. And he classified people as living on that spectrum, you know, from zero to six. Whether you're a one or a five, you lean towards the extremes, but rarely are ever anyone living on the six or living on the zero, you know? Right, so I think when people talk about gay conversion therapy, as if there's a binary, you know, like people can be gay and then be made ungay. Mm -hmm. And that's just completely unscientific and untrue. I think one of the biggest disappointments for me from this whole, when the Indonesian Psychiatrist Association came out and said LGBT is a mental illness, and as if that people... Unlike, needed a treatment, needed, needed a, a cure. Treatment, needed a cure, as if it's a disease that you know, can be fixed with pills or something. Or with like talk therapy. Mm -hmm. At least what's really troubling for me is that there's this feeling at least that I get. They think by saying this, they're reaching out to the LGBT community. Yeah. It's like, we're trying to help you. We want to convert and, you. And in the sense of the Kinsey scale, I think if people are in a mostly in the five or the one. one category, that's where it's completely unmovable. I think where it is possible is you know, people who are, don't really feel very strongly about their sexual orientation, but because of socialization, it's very easy for them to be one way or the other. Like, I don't feel very strongly about my sexual orientation. But for me, it's much more convenient or much more easy for mm -hmm. me to be heterosexual. Um, but I think if we lived in a different society and different universe where the norm was being homosexual, I don't think I would have that much of a problem. But I think for someone like me, I definitely can feel empathetic to people on both ends of the spectrum, seeing how they see things. Yeah. I think what annoys me is when people invalidate other people's feelings and opinions and views on what they say is definitely true for them. But just because you don't understand how they see things, you assume that they're lying. Especially with something like gender and sexual orientation, you by invalidating their views, you're invalidating their existence. Exactly. Their entire lives of what they've gone through and i think for the people who are empathetic is i think a lot of people are pretty scared about coming out uh, mm -hmm. in support of the lgbt community. right it's not even about coming out as lgbt it's yeah. just coming out to support the lgbt and they're scared yeah. i feel sometimes i haven't been as vocal about as it. vocal about it same here and i feel like we should feel 
somewhat culpable. Mm -hmm. So this is, I think, our attempt to be more. Yeah, we recognize the fact that, like, as we're um, saying that people should be more empathetic, we ourselves. We are empathetic, but I feel like we have not been as strong allies as mm -hmm. we can be. Yeah. And I think we should acknowledge that. If you feel the same way I do, is, I don't know, just tell your LGBT friends that you have their back, you know. Mm -hmm. Voice your support, reach out to them. Yeah, um, even privately. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so I think that's our first episode of Dialogica. That's it for our first episode of Dialogica. Please go to dialogica.id where we have the links to their resources and articles that we've talked about so far. There you can find out more about the Kinsey scale, the difference between sex, gender, and sexual orientation, as well more about marine biology. You can also check it out if you want to get in touch with us or give us support. Also, big thanks to Sweden Lee for editing and producing this episode. We also use music from Montmartre, Ryan Little, and Broke for Free. We will have the full details of the songs on our website. 